Welcome to Cato Daily Podcast. I'm Anastasia Glova, and today is Wednesday, December 13th. The Cato Education Market Index is now available on the Cato homepage. Compiled by Cato's Director of the Center for Educational Freedom, Andrew Coulson, the index rates school systems in America based on how true they are to a free market in education. Today I'm sitting down to discuss the index with education policy analyst Neil McCluskey, who acted as an advisor to the project. How does the Cato Education Market Index rate schools? The market index rates schools in two ways. First of all, it gives an index of actual markets. So what exists in states right now? How many you know, kids are in private school or in schools of choice and things like that? And the other way that it rates markets is it gives a policy rating. And this is a rating that allows policymakers to look at what their policies are now and to be able to project well if over time the full power of the market was used given our current policies how much more of a free market could we expect to have? And the real value of that is they can then look at their policies and say, well, what sort of things do we need to change if we really want to take advantage of the power of the market in education rather than more or less the monopoly that the public schools have now? Which countries was America compared to in the index? The two countries that the United States was compared to were Netherlands and Sweden. The reason that Netherlands and Sweden were picked were that, and this is often surprising to people, is that those two countries have significantly freer education markets than the United States in general or than most states have. In fact, Sweden was better than all our states. And the reason for that is because they let parents pick schools without substantial penalties. Now, they're still far from a perfect market because they will dictate what private schools have to teach, what parochial schools have to teach. So a lot of the real power of a market isn't there, but at least they're letting parents make most of the decisions of where they're sending their kids to school. So those two countries that people typically think of socialized and not free at all are in this report to show us how truly socialized our own education system is. In terms of American schools then, which states placed last on the index? Well, on the two indexes, you'll see there's a lot of overlap between who is usually last. You see uh, Alabama typically coming in last or close to last, Wyoming, West Virginia, the Carolinas. And the reason for that is they have very little choice and very little freedom, including such things as being able to choose between public schools or to have charter schools, which are still technically public schools, but at least have some autonomy and allow parents to have some choice in where they send their kids to school. And so a lot of those states that consistently come up last have almost no options. It's pretty much whatever public school you're zoned to go to based on your home address, and that's it. And where in the United States has the education market been most successful? Well, I should start by saying that most successful is still a relative term. There's no state that has anything remotely equivalent to a real free market. So you're never going to be able to go to a state and say, this state's education system works like the automobile market or the computer market, where it's improving at incredible rates every year. That said, there are states that offer more choice and more freedom than others. Wisconsin is typically one of the tops because they have a fair amount of choice within the public school system. Wisconsin, of course, has a small, relative to the total enrollment in schools, but small but still significant voucher program that they run in Milwaukee. They have a pretty good number of charter schools that have a fair amount of freedom. So a state like Milwaukee is typically one of the tops. We see Connecticut that has more freedom in terms of its public schools, so not as many charter schools. It puts a cap on them. 
And so Florida also has probably more kids enrolled in school via a voucher program than most states, but it has restrictions in other areas that other states, some of the few that rank ahead of it, don't. So if you go to Wisconsin or Florida, you're going to get as close to a market as you can in this country, which isn't all that close. Why then didn't Wisconsin get a higher overall score than 26 out of 100 points? Well, even with a small voucher program, which relative to choice in other states is quite large, but that's because there is no choice in most other states. So they have a small voucher program. They have some charter schools, but the amount of freedom that comes even with those vouchers, even with those charter schools, it's really tiny. I mean, a, a charter school can only exist typically because some public entity, some public official or body says, you are allowed to exist. And Charter schools often are not able to get exempted from regulations and rules like they're supposed to unless they ask specifically. When you look at voucher programs, the schools often have to take any child who applies, regardless of whether or not the child's aptitudes or interests match what the school's specialty is. And so even in in the choice programs we have, there's so many curbs that are put on what the schools can do and the schools and parents have so little real choice and real autonomy that while the choice and the freedom is greater than other states, in an absolute sense, it's still very small and very limited. I was reading through the report and it doesn't look like the index would support educational standards in schools. The point of the index is not to try and tell people that there is one set standard that every school should follow. What the metric is doing is saying, here's how you take advantage of what's truly powerful, and that's choice. And it's choice as you see it exercised in a free market. So we talk about automobiles. We talk about computers. You can talk about consumer electronics, grocery stores, all those things that we take for granted that provide us incredible quality and incredible selection. What we're trying to do is say, here's how you get that in education. Now, the sort of the flip side of that is the standards movement that, that you see infused in the No Child Left Behind Act. But the way that that is working and that's inclined is to say government will set one standard for everyone and then make all schools meet that standard. But then you don't have the innovation, you don't have the freedom and sort of the electricity that goes with a, a real market. This is not to say that there wouldn't be standards. When you have a market, you do have standards. But then the standards are dictated by the people consuming the product. So a market would undoubtedly have very high standards because people wouldn't be prepared or be willing to pay for something that, that was no good. The index is not going to measure and it's not going to encourage people, policymakers especially, to say there's one standard for everyone and you will all reach it. What we're aiming at is something entirely different, which is to empower all parents, all consumers of education to set their own standards and to demand that schools meet those. How do you then set up the kind of system where students can enjoy a free market in education? Well, that's sort of the beauty of, of the policy ranking is that it gives a guide to policymakers to see, well, what are we doing wrong right now and, and how do we get more freedom? I think that the most fundamental thing that people, policymakers, parents, and that, that it, just people interested in American education have to understand, their baseline should be, the key is autonomy for consumers, that they should be able to 
seek out whatever kind of education they want that reflects whatever values that could be at a number of different prices, that they have the ability to do that. And then there really has to be autonomy for producers. So policymakers have to be willing to unshackle their schools and say, schools, you can set your own curriculum, you can use whatever techniques you want to to try and attract students, you can specialize in different areas. We're going to attach the money to students so that students can come to your school and you get paid when someone selects you rather than because a policymaker says you're part of our system so you automatically get money. And once you have autonomy on both the consumer and producer side, then you're on your way to having a real market. If you enjoyed this program, consider subscribing to Cato Audio, a dynamic 60-minute monthly recording that brings you inside the Cato Institute for highlights from exceptional, one-of-a-kind lectures and events on key issues of the day presented by nationally known scholars, authors, and political leaders. Cato Audio is available on our website as well as on iTunes and audible.com.